Well, Jesus is in the life-changing business, and that's what we've been speaking about, and uh, we've been in the Gospel of John, and uh, well, if you want to turn to the Gospel of John, we'll be there in a few moments, but uh, our time, of course, will be a little bit shorter than normal today with communion, but I, I do, before I get to the main message this morning, I want to spend just a few minutes rehearsing a little bit about what took place in Israel of all Christian churches this morning will ignore what took place in Israel this morning or the last couple of days. You say, well, why is that? And I'm talking Christian churches that uh, believe the Bible, believe salvation by grace. There is a very dangerous theology out there called replacement theology or supersessionist theology that basically denies the future of Israel. Well, folks, uh, even though Israel is undergoing horrific times right now, God is not through with the Jewish people, and he is not through with Israel. So I just want to rehearse a few things that have just taken place, and for those that uh, maybe have not been watching uh, the information as it comes out, if you look up on the screen, Israel, of course, is a little teeny tiny country, uh, also known as a state by definition, and it's about the size of New Jersey. It's just a little teeny tiny blip on the map, if you will. In uh, 70 A.D., God judged the, the Israel and the Jewish people, scattered the Jews all over the, all over the known earth. In 1948, God began to bring back the Jewish people in a large percentage back to the land of Israel. Ezekiel 37 makes it very clear that that's exactly what God would do. 7.5 million Jewish people, 50% of the Jewish people, now live in Israel. God has done a miraculous work in doing what he said he would in drawing Jewish people back. Yesterday, as, uh, actually this morning, as I went through the, the feeds from uh, a particular Christian that gives very good updates, very strong in Israel, lives in Israel, uh, basically said uh, plane loads from LL Airlines are bringing in Jewish people from all over the world uh, to join the fight, if you will. Well, it's another way God is using to bring his people back as he said he would. But if you look around Israel, it's surrounded by those that hate Israel. It's surrounded by uh, Muslim countries, Islamic countries that hate the Jewish people with a passion. So when we look at uh, a little tighter uh, uh, picture here, some of you are familiar with the land, some are not. But uh, if you look at Israel as a whole, if you look down and I, and I bolded at Gaza Strip, which is where Hamas, a terrorist organization, is that uh, basically blew open the borders of Israel to, well, about huh, not that long ago, 24, 30 hours ago. And uh, it's just a nightmare what's taken place. Israel is one of the, at least up to this point, has had one of the strongest borders in the world. They have a tremendous intelligence system. There were catastrophic failures, uh, and uh, that's still being investigated as to why that took place. But basically, in that little Gaza Strip there, that little dark section, that's all Palestinian-controlled territory at this point. By the way, that will be uh, Jewish-controlled in the future, according to Genesis 15. But uh, since 1973, there's never been an incursion into Israel like took place over the last day and a half or so. Starot, which is uh, uh, you see in the middle there, that's usually uh, on a continual basis. Uh, the people, the Hamas, will lob rockets on a general 
if you will, pattern into Starot. So you, uh, if you live there, it's a, a horrible place to live. Uh, and you see that it's not that far from Jerusalem, uh, probably about 50 miles or so. Uh, you see Ascalon, that also got hit. So that whole area has been uh, seriously devastated by what took place in the last 30 hours. Now the issue being, as uh, we came up a little bit uh, missing a letter here and there, but bottom line is if we look at our prophetic calendar, again I brought up in that red box uh, when the pastor called me and says, is the battle of Gog Magog starting? And my answer was not at this time based on the prophetic calendar. Uh, we currently live in the church age. Uh, the rapture is the next major event, and uh, if the rapture happens today, yeah, I mean, it could pop right into the Battle of Gog Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39, which tells us that all those surrounding nations of Israel will basically come down on Israel. Uh, God will destroy them, basically take out the Islamic uh, regime, if you will. And uh, it's just amazing that we're seeing things come to fruition as we speak. So, of course, after the Gog Magog, there'll be a seven-year time of tribulation, uh, preparing for the next greatest event that will happen, which is the return of Jesus Christ to this earth to rule and reign uh, for a thousand years, Revelation 20, verses 1 to 7. And at the end of that time, uh, eternity future will come. So there's 650 people right now confirmed dead in Israel, Israeli Jewish people that have been butchered, killed, massacred. Hundreds and hundreds of uh, uh, Jewish people have been kidnapped and taken into Gaza. Uh, it's just an atrocity, and uh, I mean, I don't even recommend uh, looking at some of the feeds. They're very graphic. It's horrific what's taking place. The abuse of people is off the charts. And you say, oh, Pastor, why, 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 do we, why do we want to know about this? Well, the reason we want to know about it is because if indeed this is the start of the end of uh, the church age, it's something for all of us to say, just like I did yesterday when I when I shared at the beginning. It's like, what if it were today, folks? What if Jesus comes back for us today to take us home, and uh, then all the horrible things that will be taking place during the tribulation, spoken about in Revelation chapter 6 through 16, are going to come to pass. They're going to happen. Uh, it's unequivocal. So these things are, are uh, whether this is the start of that particular prophetic scenario or not, we won't know unless we uh, all of a sudden meet in the air on the way up, and then we'll know for sure. Well, anyway, that's just a little bit. Uh, I did not in any way, shape, manner, or form want to be dismissive of what's taking place there. Uh, God's people, uh, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, says we are to bless those, uh, uh, Jew, the Jewish people, and God says he'll bless us if we bless them, curse us if we uh, uh, curse them. So pray for Israel. Uh, pray that God uh, does something marvelous there. We don't know why it's taking place, but God's allowing it to take place, and we want to support them the best way we can. In the future, one last picture on this. Israel right now is that little teeny blue section. God promised in Genesis 15 that the Jewish people will inherit all of the land that you see in that red box. So all of what would be disputed land now, God will give to the Jewish people. They've never had it. You say, well, if God's done with the Jewish people, he's done, if he's done with Israel, uh, uh, the Bible says no, he's not done with Israel. He's not done uh, with the Jewish people. But uh, when he comes to rule and reign in the millennial kingdom, all that land will be where Jesus Christ will rule and reign with the Jewish people. And by the way, with you.
Is she with us? That's right. The Bible makes it clear that uh, in Revelation 19, that all of God's people that have been raptured, taken up to heaven, will come back with Jesus, mounted up on nice white horses, believe it or not, come back and rule and reign with Christ for uh, the thousand years and then into eternity. So uh, if this is news to you, uh, uh, if folks are not familiar with the prophetic calendar, there's a lot to it. But uh, boy, it's, it's just amazing to see what's taking place. All right, well, we're going to get right into our message. i got about 15 minutes, so we won't get too far today. Uh, but we've been talking about the greatest miracle, and that is changed lives. Jesus Christ changing lives. When uh, Dave Knorr just came up and sang with uh, Zach Zimmerman, and uh, he said, listen, boy, when, the, when that time happened, when Jesus Christ, uh, I finally met him. He finally came into my life, and, 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 and marvelous things happened, and the song just spoke to his heart. Why? Because Jesus means something to those who know Christ. Amen? I mean, he just does. And, and he changes your life. And uh, you say, well, my life hasn't changed much. I, I, in fact, uh, sometimes I, I do wrong, and, and I'm embarrassed about it, and I fight about it with myself. And it's like, but can God change lives? And the answer is, of course, God changes lives. So we've been going through, uh, and we'll probably take another two, three weeks on this, about how uh, Jesus rebuilds lives. I want us to center in, and we've, we've departed from Second Corinthians, going verse by verse through it for a couple of weeks, to help us prepare for harvest gathering, to get the excitement once again that Jesus Christ changed lives. And he'll change the lives of your friends. He'll change the lives of your relatives. He'll change the lives of people that you come in contact with every day. And boy, harvest gathering is a time when if you struggle, it's like, man, I have a hard time getting folks to come to church, or I've had a hard time witnessing and telling folks about Jesus. Folks, we're going to feed them. That will make them come. I'm dead serious. I mean, we're going to have a nice nice dinner. We'll have potluck. We'll have chicken and all the good stuff. And it's like you invite them to come, hear a great uh, speaker, and they'll get the gospel, and we'll feed them and love them and, and, and give them some time. And, folks, it's, it's worth it, and it works. And God will bless that investment, if you will, in people. But let me ask you a question. Would you recognize Jesus if you saw him? Think about that a moment. Would you recognize Jesus if he walked in here right now. You see, when Jesus came into the land, when he came into Jerusalem, when he came into other places, how many people recognized that that was Jesus? A handful. I mean, there he is. Jesus Christ, God's son, in the flesh, right there, and the majority of people were dismissive of him. They didn't recognize him. Did Pilate, did Herod, did the majority of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the elders and the chief priests and Jews recognize Jesus? Well, the answer is no. And, and my, my heart break, if you will, is that when we tell folks about Christ today, do they recognize who Jesus is? Do we understand ourselves who Jesus is? Well, where do you get a picture of Jesus? Well, there's only one place to get it. Uh, you can't go on the internet and get it from AI. You've got to come to the Bible to get a real picture of who Jesus is. Well, again, the reason that we're spending time on this and we're going to be praying uh, a strong uh, is to see folks come to Christ, to revive us. Folks, if you understand who Jesus is, if you come into the presence of Jesus, you will be revived. You can't help it. If you're spending time with him in the word, if you're spending time with him in prayer, if you're focused on Christ, you can't help but have a revival in your own heart. You just can't. So we're asking uh, uh, God's people over the next 
uh, some 38 days now, revival of uh, God's people, loving the Lord, loving each other's family strength, and then, of course, uh, 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 souls coming to Christ during Harvest Gathering. So basically, as we keep on our theme for the next few weeks, we're going to be going through the Gospel of John and observe how Jesus Christ rebuilds lives. Last week, we got through quite a few. We looked at how God spoke to Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, the nobleman, uh, uh, the paralyzed man, how God worked in Peter's life, and again in Nicodemus' life. And uh, those are all on our internet feed if you want to see the, uh, the message on that. But today, uh, with the time we have, I want to get into a very, very interesting, moving, and life-changing story, not story, but an actual account, of an adulterous <clears throat> woman's life in John chapter 8. So again, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 8, and we'll be going through that. In fact, I think I'm going to uh, read the passage first, and then we'll understand contextually where we're going to be going. John chapter 8, and starting at verse 1, as we looked at a life that was massively changed. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees, basically the religious leaders, brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he, he did not hear. So when they continue asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Father, we ask that you bless your word as always. Would you move in our hearts this morning? Might we see sinners? Might we see those who are without Christ? as individuals for whom you came to die for and to love. So, Father, would you move in our hearts? Would you help us to love the unlovely? Would you help us to love those who are crippled by sin? And help us, most of all, to have the tenacity and the power of the Holy Spirit to move in our lives to seek and to save those who are lost. And we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at verse 1 and 2, we're talking about Jesus entering into the temple. Now this is, of course, a rendition, an artist's rendition. He's up on the Mount of Olives, which would be kind of where I'm standing, looking down uh, uh, at the temple. So he leaves the Mount of Olives. He walks about 30 minutes, goes down to the temple grounds. 
And as he goes in, he's, he's sitting there. He's teaching the people inside of the temple, uh, uh, obviously going through different things. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, uh, Jesus said he is what? He said he is the Word, and, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. And uh, Jesus comes in, and he's teaching the individuals in uh, Israel in the Jewish temple. Now today, if you looked at a modern picture, looking down from the Mount of Olives, which will again be about where I'm standing, uh, 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 looking down, of course, the Dome of the Rock, the Islamic uh, dome to uh, Mohammed sits where that temple used to stand, the second temple. Well, of course, uh, one day that Dome of the Rock will be removed, and uh, the third temple will be built there after we go through Gog, Magog, and a few other things, prophetically speaking. But that's what you see today. In the future, it will once again look much more like this, according to prophecy, specifically Daniel 9.27, talking about the rebuilding of the third temple temple. Well, go to verse 3. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they hate Jesus. Boy, isn't it amazing what's going on in Israel today? People still don't understand who Jesus is. They still don't understand who his people are. They still don't understand the significance of Israel. And the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious leaders who did not know the Lord, brought to him, brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to her, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, folks, let me make it real clear. The Old Testament Mosaic law, there were severe, deadly consequences for doing what this lady is accused of doing. So they're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to trick this individual who they're calling teacher or rabbi. And it's like, okay, I think we can get him on this one. We're going, to make him, uh, uh, we're going to make him basically kill this woman in front of us. That's what their goal was. Uh, uh, let's see if we can trick him and make him do this because we don't think he's going to do it. Well, verse 5, uh, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. And but folks, they were correct, and we'll show you in a moment. But what do you say? Hey, Jesus, uh, are you going to deny the Mosaic law? Are you going to do the right thing and see that this woman is stoned? Are you going to see that she pays for the horrible sin that she committed? What did they do? They were testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. We've got to get rid of Jesus. We've got to make sure the Jewish people understand that Jesus is not the Messiah. Same thing that's happening today. But Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground with his finger, kind of ignoring him, kind of like a kid when mom and dad say it's time to go to bed, and it's like, forget it, he's not going to listen. But he stoops down, he's ignoring them, he's paying them no attention. And then uh, uh, let's take quickly a look at what, uh, they were, what the Pharisees were referring to. Well, Leviticus chapter 20, Old Testament Mosaic Law. By the way, for those that are attempting to live under the law, it's impossible. You can't live under the law. Uh, the Jewish people couldn't live under the Mosaic Law. 613 commandments that the Jewish people couldn't keep. Why was the law instituted? To prove that man and women were sinful and it's impossible to keep the law. But in the law it says this, the man who commits adultery, which is exactly what this young lady had done with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to what? Now folks, that's law. God said it. Back in Old Testament times when the Mosaic law existed, God had no, <laughs> there was no leeway. 
It's like you did this particular act in the Old Testament. It was death. And that's why these individuals are testing Jesus now, trying to get him to comply. Also in the Mosaic Law, Deuteronomy chapter 22, if a man is found lying with a woman, married to a husband, committing adultery, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall be put away the evil from Israel. God wanted Israel to be pure. He wanted the Jewish people to be pure. And committing adultery, which now in the New Testament is referred to as spiritual adultery. In other words, if we're not serving God, if we're not loving God, if we're not putting him number one and we're putting something else number one, we're committing spiritual adultery, which of course God does not want us to do. But there is no death penalty for it, by the way. What else does he say? If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband, back in Old Testament times, during the law, if you uh, got engaged to a a, 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 a husband or a wife-to-be, it was a legal contract. Though they hadn't come together physically, it was a legal contract. And uh, they were expected to uh, spend uh, uh, their life together. And God says this, listen, uh, uh, if that contract is written between a, a, a young lady and a husband-to-be, it's a legal contract. And a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out of the gate of the city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. So the the again the Pharisees and the Sadducees are like, we've got Jesus. He's got to follow the law. He's coming here talking about a, a, a scripture, and he's got to follow it. We've got him. We're going to make him do this. But if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside, and the man forces her, basically with uh, uh, I'm I know most of our young people are out, and those that. Uh, may or may not understand the word. You could ask mom and dad later, but uh, uh, commits rape and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is the young woman, no sin deserving of death. In other words, somebody forced himself on her, and that person was to be killed. Now, what else? If a man finds a young woman who is a virgin who is not betrothed and he seizes her, what's going to happen? Uh, the man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father 50 shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife because he has humbled her. In other words, if a, a, an individual commits an intimate act with an unmarried young lady, you've got to pay daddy, a, if you will, the betrothal fee, and they've got to get married. No divorce ever allowed. That's the Old Testament Mosaic Law. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the elders knew the law, and they're pushing this on Jesus. A man shall not take his father's wife, basically incest, nor uncover his father's bed. Now, folks, if we want to be honest, how many of God's people would be dead today if the law was being enforced? A whole lot. <laughs> Aren't you glad that we're not under the law? Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ forgives sin today? Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ looks down at us and realizes there's no hope for man or woman outside of Jesus Christ? And God said the law was abolished when Jesus Christ came. We're no under the law, but we are under grace. Now God says, of course, don't abuse that. But we're under grace, and we're so thankful for that. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, Jesus. What do you say? And what were they doing? They were testing him. Well, verse 7, So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Oh, boy. 
all of a sudden these religious leaders begin to think about their corrupt lives they begin to think about their immorality they begin to think about their corruption and all of a sudden conviction starts to come upon them and God says fine pick up your stone killer uh, if you're without sin if you're perfect pick up a stone and kill her right now all of a sudden the conviction of the Holy Spirit or whatever was in their little conscience begins to bug them and Jesus again stoops down and begins to write on the ground basically allowing them to think about who they were kind of a little reminder of what was taking place all these individuals coming around Jesus. Kill this woman. She was found in the very act of adultery. She's a sinner. She's got to pay for her sins. And Jesus said, fine. You that are without sin, cast the first stone. Then those who heard it, here we go, being convicted by their what? By, their, by the way, there's no person on this earth, saved or unsaved, that doesn't have an innate conscience. Every single person has a conscience. They know what's right. They know what's wrong. And all of a sudden their conscience, that inbred thing, that thing that you try to fight, that thing that you try when you want to do wrong and, 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 and uh, the Holy Spirit begins to work on you and says, hey, uh, 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 you can't do that. And you're like, I want to do it. And he's like, you're not supposed to do that. And you know that you've listened to the Bible and you've led the Bible and you know what's right and you know what's wrong. And the old devil says, well, you go for it. Ignore the Holy Spirit's leading and the prompting. And you say, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what God's Word says. And you try and go ahead and do it. And all of a sudden, these unsaved Jewish guys who are beating up on this woman, beating up on Jesus, all of a sudden, that innate conscience that God puts in every single person begins to bug them. What happens? They went out one by one, beginning with the oldest. Well, doesn't that make sense? He's had, the oldest had more time to do wrong, didn't he? And they're, and they're sitting there pointing their fingers down at her. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, boy. I'm, I forget where that came from, but you point one finger out, you got three pointing right back at you. And that's what was happening to them. All of a sudden, the heaviness of their own sin begins to convict them, starting at the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman's standing in the midst. Well, well their conscience... Uh, uh, basically defined as a psychological faculty God implanted that distinguishes between right and wrong or moral sensitivity. Uh, uh, there's not a person in here that hasn't had their conscience bother them because there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none perfect, no, not one. And all of a sudden we do something wrong and our conscience begins to bug us and, and make us feel bad. And, and Jesus, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? They're ready to kill her. They throw her on the floor in front of Jesus. They push him to try and get her killed right in front of him. And all of a sudden, Jesus says those penetrating words, you that are without sin, you go cast the first stone at this dear lady. And they all walk away. Has no one condemned you? Do you stand condemned here this morning? Have you done something so horrible in your own mind, so wicked in your own mind that you think God can't love you? Those watching on the internet today, 
Have you been to the place where it's like, I, I just, I can't face life anymore. Things have been so horrible. Things have been so bad. I've done things that I can't tell anyone. I've done things that are terrible. Maybe you've murdered someone and nobody's found out about it. Maybe you've committed adultery. Maybe you've raped someone. Maybe you've done horrible acts of, of adultery and fornication. And it's like, how can God love me? I'm, I, I'm so bad. I'm so rotten. There's no hope for me. And Jesus says, there's hope for everybody. There's hope for everybody. And all God's people said, I mean, there's hope for everybody. doesn't matter how deep you've gone into sin. doesn't matter how far you've walked away from him. doesn't matter if you're a lady that was caught in adultery in the very act and thrown before Jesus. Jesus looks down at her, and she senses his compassion and his love and his forgiveness. And what does he say to her? Listen. Listen. We're, we're your accusers. By the way, ooh. How many of us point fingers at others? Yeah, you know what so-and-so did? Ooh. Don't do that. Don't do that. I've heard about a few instances with our younger people recently about people spreading some really bad, rotten rumors. Knock it off. Knock it off. If it isn't true, don't spread rumors. It's damaging. It's horrible. You can ruin somebody's reputation. You can ruin their life over stuff like that. Well, you know, we're kids. We can do, or even adults do it at times, and it's like, come on now. If you don't have something good to say about anybody, do what? Don't say a thing. And definitely don't make up garbage about people. It's damaging. It hurts them. It's deadly. And it's as big a sin as what they've done. Absolutely. Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Well, they all got convicted and they walk away. And Jesus looks at this dear lady and says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. This poor lady who's facing death, she's disgraced among her people. And yet the dear loving Savior says, I don't care where you were last night or last hour or last decade. I don't care what horrible sins you've committed. What I do care is that you understand that I love you and that I went to the cross. In this case, he would be going to the cross to pay for this lady's sin. Folks, he's already been to the cross. He's already paid for all your sins. And how can we do anything less than loving the Savior this morning who's forgiven us for our sins? You say, well, I never committed adultery. I never mur murdered anyone. Every sin is the same. Whether you lied about something, whether you cheated someone, whether you're disrespected, whether you're unloving, whether you're unkind. And Jesus said, I love you this morning. Can we rejoice that Jesus loves you this morning? Can we rejoice that Jesus takes our lives and changes them? Can we rejoice that uh, uh, if you are in a, involved in something you know you shouldn't be, why don't you just fall on your face like this woman did this morning and say, all right, enough's enough. I know it's not right. I know it's not godly. I know I've not been living for the Lord. I want God to change me. I want, I want to honor God in everything I say and do. I want to be pleasing to Him. I want to be morally pure. I want to be ethically pure. I want to do what the Lord has called me to do. 
Bible says, uh, uh, because we've been saved by grace, that free unmerited gift. He says, listen, uh, what shall we say then, Christian? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, because God is so loving, God is forgiving. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. That must mean I can do whatever I want just to prove how gracious God is. And God says, listen, don't adopt that false philosophy. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And what's the resounding answer, the strongest imperative in the Greek language? Certainly not. Under no circumstances, under no way should we do that. How shall we that died to sin live any longer in it? Well, we're going to close because we're out of time this morning. But let me ask you this. I'm sorry. Here we go. We close with this last week. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But listen, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Christian, has your life been changed? There's been a great change. If you don't sing it, there's been a great change since I've been born. There's been a great change since I've been born. There's been a great change since I've been born. There's been a great change since I've been born again. All right, let's try it. There's been a great change since I've been born. There's been a great change since I've been born. There's been a great change since I've been born. There's been a great change since I've been born again. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that there should be a change in our life when we know you as Savior. We're not saved by our good works, but boy, they certainly ought to follow after we placed our faith and trust in you. Father, help us to love others the way Jesus loved them. Help us to look at sinners not with condemnation, but with love and with forgiveness and with the gospel. Father, would you make a great change in our life this week? Would you help us to go out and to stay biblically literate? Would you help us to stay in our Bibles? Would you help us to uh, uh, continue with you in prayer? Would you help us to love people like never before? Would you change our life, Lord, just like you did this adulterous woman who changed her life, giving up those things that she used to do and turning herself over to Jesus and living in a proper and godly way. Father, do what only you can do this morning. If that's you this morning, uh, uh, what does God need to do in your life? What change does he need to make in your life? Where are you at this morning when it comes to serving him? Where are you at to loving him? Where are you at with living a pure or a, a pure life, an ethical, moral life that is consistent with God's biblical word? Right there where you are, there's changes that need to happen in some of our lives this morning. I don't know who 